In the first year of the campaign, four adventurers rescued the kidnapped Prince Avery, later revealed to be a fake. They struggled against fate to save King Kalabesh, but were forced to flee when Vunthos took control of Jeke. Istis gave them a divine quest to seal six rifts and return to Jeke within 30 days. They ran through the mines under the Colossae Mountains, where they helped Ula, the goddess of Earth. These heroes were Noel Hickey, a human and former Salunian nun, Swigacht, a half-orc who lost his hometown in Jeke's previous war with Sturgia, Tynus Adarin, a sheltered Aarakocran noble, and Vincent Palladino, a Tabashi and former Meowfia member. Pepper, their erstwhile ward, embarked back towards the seaside fort to liberate his people. He was joined by Phasmara and Jerndel, a pair of convicts living in the woods, and Siren, a disgraced lieutenant of the fallen Jekian militia. In the second year of the campaign, Pepper returned to the fort and freed his people. His team found a newly created rift to a forest world and sealed it for Procan by destroying planekeepers on the other side. At last, Siren slew Vunthos the Usurper aboard a Sturgeon warship. The remaining Sturgeons and Kenku sailed north, while Phasmara, Jerndel, and Pepper flew to Skoro, and Siren returned home. In the desert, the Crusaders fought off Flameskulls seeking the child of Nairul. Noel and Vincent split off towards Sondorax, concerned about the cleric's knightly omens. Along the way, they learned that Vincent's father, Louis Palladino, was the new Prime Minister of Flinica. Sister Oakley was waiting for them just outside Sondorax, and they foiled an attempt on her life perpetrated by a pair of anti-theists. Tynus and Swigacht reached Skoro, where Pepper joined them, albeit upset at Noel's absence. Paler beseeched them to find Nairul's heir and close the rift beneath the Eastern Cathedral. And in the once great nation of Zokash, Sparrow Adarin and Magara Voltaire graduated from their wizard college. Year 3, Episode 42 Tynus confessed that he and Swig were the chosen heroes to whom Paler's prophecy referred. Consequently, Chidaba Karini convened an emergency meeting at Paylor's Cathedral for further discussion. Skoro's chieftains tasked them with finding the child of Nairul and Oiri and preventing Nairul's resurrection. Nairul was a Yuan-Ti king, the former Lord of Souls, who conquered and enslaved Kazum six centuries ago. Paylor paid Ethruk the Artificer to enhance his scimitar and received an autonomous weapon the following morning, just before leaving with Swigacht and Tynus for Oiri. On the road, they came upon a squad of Yuan-Ti, carrying a palanquin whose contents were obscured from view. A shard of Nairul's consciousness reached out to Pepper's mind and tempted the Genku with promises of power. It instructed him to travel north from Oiri and find Mershalk, the Deep One, at the Yuan-Ti lair. Glamory Nimson had fled Oiri towards Skoro after the Flame Skulls identified him as the child of Nairul. On his way to Skoro, he found the Yuan-Ti as well as Tynus's group. They escaped together and continued onward to Idleford Outpost. Episode 43 Glamry met Tynus, Swig, and Pepper, though he learned little of their quest. As they reached Idleford, Glamry remembered his old agent, Luaza, had requested a sword wrestling match there. Though retired, he agreed to put on a show for old time's sake. Tynus reluctantly assumed the role of heel. Kazmara and Jerndel caught up during this exhibition match, having left their other hippogriffs in Skoro along with four Kenku afflicted by the Paladino prison. Phasmara planned to help the party in thwarting Nairul, so they could take the enthralled Kenku off her hands. Dewey Drunk became belligerent and rushed Glamry during the fight. Glamry sent a magic goad at him, intending to merely push him off the stage, but the impact seemingly killed Dewey. Glamry was promptly arrested by the sheriff. Episode 44 Aided by a mysterious lawyer, Phasmara uncovered the truth of the case. 
Dewey Drunk had merely poisoned himself to play dead. He was in cahoots with Luaza and the Sheriff to frame Glamray. While the Sheriff and Dewey were simply interested in collecting Glamray's fortune through fines, Luaza sought to irreparably tarnish his reputation as revenge for the business opportunities she'd lost due to his early retirement. Episodes 48 and 49 After a night's rest, Fasmara was frustrated to find that Pepper had disappeared. They made a detour to Oiri, fighting off a Yuanti ambush, and found him strolling nonchalantly back from wherever he'd been. Tynus decided it wasn't worth pursuing further. At last, the party resumed their trip to Palor's Eastern Cathedral. Their destination was a desolate landscape. Only pools of lava, charred weapons, and layers of ash remained to mark the ancient battle. The cathedral was built atop Nerul's underground citadel as a memorial for the fallen and to prevent future access to the ruins. True to his lineage, Glamry could read the inscription on the cathedral seal. In doing so, the way was opened, and the group descended. The burial chamber was blocked by a stone wall with nine grooves. The party recovered pieces of a mural scattered among culturally significant locations. In recovering the pieces, Glamry learned more and more about the ways of the Yuan-Ti, and about the personal legacy of the Lord of Souls. Episode 50 With the mural pieces in place, they arrived at their third rift. It floated over Nairul's shattered coffin, releasing a ceaseless freezing wind. With Paler's silent blessing of warmth, they crossed into a frigid world, populated by twinkling crystalline life forms. Soon after Tynus accidentally injured one with his body heat, he was sucked through a tube into the center of a planekeeper. The others followed, careful not to break through thin ice or dislodge the planekeeper. They freed Tynus and defeated the automaton, escaping just before the portal winked shut. But their mission was far from finished. Back in the burial chamber, Glamry read the final inscription as someone placed Nero's golden pauldron on his shoulder. Memories not his own flooded his mind, and he became linked with the Lord of Souls. He was overwhelmed with newfound might and smugly challenged Tynus to a rematch. Nerul's power grew as the battle progressed, and he assumed his true form as a horned black serpent when Glamray fell unconscious. Tynus pursued him out of the chamber, knowing that Nerul could not be allowed to reach the surface, and he suffered a mortal wound from the Snake King's emerald flames. Tynus' soul was rent from his body and cast into the ephemeral plane, where he would wander endlessly alone. If not for the arrival of the Raven Queen, the new Lord of Death, who attained godhood for her victory six centuries prior. Assisted by Swagacht, Pepper, Fasmara, and Jerndel, she again dealt the final blow and scattered Nairul's evil influence to the wind. She revived Tynus and revealed him to be her descendant, a fact that seemed to inspire him greatly. Pepper returned on his own to Skoro, but the rest of the group returned to Paylor's cathedral with Glamray's unconscious body and claimed Paylor's reward. As Fasmara and Jerndel prepared to return to their treehouse in Gadampo Forest, Tynus and Swigacht looked forward to reuniting with their friends in Sondorax. Meanwhile, in Jekke, Episode 51 Siren Voltaire would have loved for her troubles to be at an end after defeating Vunthos, avenging her fallen comrades, and returning home to Kienma. But when she saw flyers informing the city about an upcoming Sturgeon military parade led by Viceroy Vunthos, all hopes of an early retirement quickly died. At her parents' bar, the Wasted Willow, Siren met Alexis Spellmeyer, the daughter of Ingrid and Richmond. Rorstel Adrin, as her new foster father, had informed Alexa of her parents' passing and that he was waiting to meet her in Skoro. Alexa bonded her father's metal arm to Siren's shoulder in exchange for Siren's help in reaching the desert city at a later date. 
Siren also met a dramatic stranger, calling himself Prince Avery, who said he'd recently escaped a Sturgeon prison. He promoted Siren to general for her services in Gadampo Forest. Ludlow returned from personal leave as a married man, and he caught up with Siren as the prince and Ristel snuck into the castle for intel. They learned details about the parade, but couldn't be positive that they'd seen Vunthos. On their way out, they found the Jekian castle guard imprisoned and downtrodden. The prince signaled his return and inspired them with quiet hope. Siren's group attended the parade in disguise, hoping to use this opportunity to free the castle guard. However, the Jekians were part of the procession, so Siren stayed put. Behind the Jekians came the Viceroy's stagecoach, and, upon the prince's magical suggestion, he revealed his face. The scarred, discolored, tattooed, yet unmistakable face of Kalabesh. Vunthos soon gave his inaugural speech. This concluded with a proclamation, offering a fiefdom for the capture of Siren, Ludlow, or Ristel, dead or alive. Episode 52 With little time to lose, Siren raced back to the Wasted Willow. She escaped in a covered wagon with her parents, Alexa, and nine of the ten Sturgeon deckhands who had accompanied her from the seaside fort in search of mead. They regrouped at the estate of Fuchus Pipigot, Ludlow's husband, and decided to try their luck in Machi, the city that controls Jekke's southern coast. They found little military support in Duke Bussar, who was flabbergasted both at Kienma's collapse and at reuniting with his son, Prince Avery. A courier reported that Jekke's southeastern fort, Canopy Keep, was under siege and could not send aid either. Unfortunately, the courier was also tailed back to Machi by a Sturgeon envoy. Siren rode out to ambush them with a few archers. Among the Sturgeons was a triton wielding a frightening weapon and a largely metallic form. It was Siren's old superior, the traitorous Captain Lycoris. Episode 55 Prince Avery made short work of Lycoris, slashing at his severed head until the traitor's soul was at last released. Avery cursed him to spend the remainder of the day as a spectral minion. The Duke seemed even more fretful after Siren's return, worrying that his city would never survive a direct assault from the Sturgeons. The only aid he could offer his son was the use of the Chalice of Conclave, an artifact from Jekke's founding which allowed communication with the Aarakocran Council. Siren recalled that the Aarakocra's arrogance resulted in the Kenku being cursed, and the Council's experimentation on a Planekeeper was punished by being forced to join Jekke. In a painting of the treaty signing by Tuala Abesh and the Council, Siren also spotted a man resembling Vunthos, wearing the robes of a priest of Istis. She concluded that he must have been the one to double-cross the council, making him a shared enemy. Armed with this knowledge, the prince requested privacy while he made his plea. As he'd surmised, the chalice revealed his true form to the Aarakocra. He was not the prince at all, but a changeling named Jin. The council was disturbed to learn of the Sturgeon takeover, and they took poorly to Jin's reasoning for impersonating the missing prince. Yet, as he was magically compelled to tell the truth, they could not question the reality of the situation. They promised to reach a decision in the coming days, and Jin's time limit with the chalice expired. With this settled, Siren's group left for Canopy Keep, still under siege. They infiltrated the fort, met Colonel Helga, and won her respect by defeating the Sturgeon Bombardiers that night. Even as the soldiers celebrated their first small victory, Siren was met by some intangible representation of Unthos. He made a one-time offer at an armistice, which she quickly refused. Meanwhile, in Sondrax, Episode 46 Noel and Vincent reached Sondrax by nightfall, with Sister Oakley in tow. They rested in the outskirts and concocted aliases, then returned to the Temple of Salune the following morning. 
a young Miran arrived with news that a priest of Istis was murdered. Oakley tasked Noel and Vincent with the investigation. Reverend Sealed had discovered Sister Irene of the Salunians sneaking into the Chamber of Prophecies. She'd become entangled with the Miaphia, and she was forced to transcribe the lunar glyphs for the Paladinos. Episode 47 During the investigation, Vincent impulsively murdered his half-human cousin, Elliot Paperboy Ricardo, who'd been sent as a cleaner. Noel found Irene confronting Mirren and pacified the older nun. Irene confessed her crime to Oakley and went into hiding. With the mystery resolved, Noelle magically messaged her girlfriend, Bonnie Palladino, and arranged a meeting in the temple's conservatory. She even met the goddess Salune in her dreams, though the moon seemed rather apologetic about Noelle's burden and the mortal peril that came with it. Episode 53 Noelle and Vincent, disguised once more, accompanied Sister Oakley and Mother Lucy back to the Tower of Istus to explain the murder of Reverend Sealed to the Tower's Cardinal, Sherian. They seemed rather detached, but detained Noel after the meeting, and asked her a strange question, whether she was the last of the Abeshian line. The Cardinal explained that recent lunar glyphs portended the return of royalty, and they promised to re-evaluate the matter. The two spent the afternoon cooking Rosetta Palladino's famous spaghetti and meatballs, and the picnic was every bit as lovely as they'd hoped. Bonnie was overjoyed at their early reunion, as Vincent played a sweet serenade for the couple on his violin. At last, Bonnie told her brother it was time for him to come home. Episode 54 Vincent relented after much deliberation, and they snuck through Sondrax well past curfew. But Bonnie had an alternate plan, and escaped with Noel as worshippers of Procant captured Vincent. By freely presenting him to his father, Bonnie had hoped to end the long-standing feud between the Meowfia and the Triton. Vincent was hurt that he wasn't informed in advance, but permitted his own capture regardless. At the handover, a would-be assassin struck Louis Palladino with a caustic crossbow bolt. It seemed a deadly blow, but the Prime Minister emerged unharmed as his own skin sloughed off. In his father's office, Vincent came clean about the events that necessitated his departure. He'd fallen for an Arakaza girl, Matsuko, the target of his first Miaofia mission, but she double-crossed him and used Vincent's bomb to destroy the cat's cradle. To Vincent's horror, it seemed that no record now remained of Matsuko, even the glass display he had been given to identify her was now just a mirror. In spite of this confusing account, Vincent's most closely held dream came to pass when Lewis offered to let him rejoin the family if he would complete a few normal missions during his stay in Sondrax. He eagerly agreed, and announced his return to the whole city. Episode 56 Vincent learned the truth of the two-strike initiative. Criminals would now receive a poker chip, the Paladino Prison, on their first offense, and on the second, their souls were trapped in a state of limbo, which killed their bodies, but left them utterly subservient. Tag then turn. This was how the Paladinos had attained such unquestioned authority over the city. He and Noel purchased evening wear for the night's gala, celebrating Vincent's return. It was a pleasant diversion, until Noel confronted her girlfriend about the new policy. She was distraught to learn that it was Bonnie who invented the mechanism. The two parted in tears, and Vincent chose his family over his friend. Episode 57 Vincent received his mission dossier and approved equipment from Nermal and got to work in the morning. He met his cousin, Richie Pistola, and kobold mercenary Nira Tutap at the renovated Cat's Cradle. They tailed a potential Arakaza member, but he was a simple Asimar keeping his wings hidden. During the mission, Vincent also found the Salafas and Americol Apothecary. Noelle was truly alone in the city. Sister Oakley let her spend the night in her old room. 
She lurched into the sad sack bar, downed a couple of whiskeys, and left to find Bonnie. Bonnie had taken their argument equally hard, locking herself in her bedroom. Noelle implored her to take a stand and undo the damage she and her family had caused. At last, the Paladina recentered her moral compass and agreed. Episode 58 Though she had rekindled her girlfriend's kind heart, Noelle wasn't ready yet to find forgiveness for Vincent. Things remained awkward between them, even as Vincent brought her to meet Mr. Salafas. They divulged the fate of his pet snake and former co-worker, then visited Nairul's P-Mart HQ for a shopping spree. The next day, Bonnie showed Noelle rare artifacts in a god-proof bunker. Bonnie had developed the cat's eye by experimenting on a planekeeper and reading the findings of ancient Zokashi scientists. Noelle recognized the planekeeper's construction from the slime world, where a similar machine killed a miracle. She was warned not to discuss this outside the bunker, since merely mentioning the planekeeper could lead to madness. Vincent's second mission saw him kidnap an Eric Cochran musician, but he again came up empty on info that could lead to the Arakaza hideout. Episode 59 In spite of his uncanny ability to put his foot in his mouth, Vincent was shocked to learn that Nira had enjoyed pretending to date him in the park, but his spirits were hampered when Magic Dice confirmed that his deceased mother was not, in fact, proud of him. Noelle and Bonnie discussed options for growing their budding revolution against the Two-Strike Initiative. The cleric spent all night bringing up the issue in taverns around the city, hoping to scrounge up enough dissenters to resist Lewis's intimidation. A flustered Vincent had to ask his brother for Nira's contact information to ask her out. He arranged to meet at Fantasy Olive Garden, Sondarax's premier Tabashi kitchen, and he picked her up with blue roses and a carriage ride to the restaurant. Against all odds, their dinner date went smoothly, but Vincent had something else to take care of. He slipped out of bed and met Bonnie on the roof to discuss talking to their mother. Bonnie invited Nermal, who acted rather curiously when he learned their plan. The trio snuck to the Paladino mausoleum, but something was wrong. Rosetta Paladino's death date had been altered. In truth, she died before Vincent and Bonnie were even born. They followed their brother in shock to an entirely different section of the cemetery, where their true mother lay six feet under. Vincent Palladino was half Triton. Episode 45 At this point, if any of my fellow players besides Ren are listening to this recap, I must kindly ask that you pause here. This is the episode where Pepper snuck out on his own. In Oiri, the Kenku came across the Yuan-Ti and Nero's palanquin, which contained a single gold pauldron they'd recovered by ransacking a coastal town. This artifact was one of several ways in which Nairul had avoided oblivion and planned his future rebirth. Pepper agreed to help the snakes sneak through Oiri undetected, but first, he visited Glamry's mansion, where he talked to an older drow couple. These were the parents of Glamry's friend Kandea, who perished when the two had tried adventuring in their youth. They gave Pepper some sage advice, though he heeded little of it when he pressed on to the Yuan-Ti hideout, further north in the canyon. He took the pauldron through a series of heavily guarded tunnels and presented it to a massive, slumbering cerulean serpent, Mershalk. Pepper's pet pseudo-dragon watched nervously, unaware of its friend's telepathic dealings, as Pepper eagerly accepted Mershalk's offer of power. He was instructed to break a red dagger he'd found on the seafloor, deliberately left for him by someone who knew he would be there. Within the dagger was a slimy black larva. Pepper swallowed it whole, and his very being was subsumed by the enigmatic force known as Vunthos. Now, our heroes return to Sondorax, utterly unaware that their greatest enemy stands beside them, following their every move. 
nor do they know of General Siren's courageous resistance, built as it is upon the falsehood of Jin's identity. With heartless dictators in control of each nation, the futures of Jeke and Flinica alike hang in the balance. Let's find out what Lady Fate has in store.